Hey, good morning, Wooddale Church. How is everybody this morning? Good. Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Brad Hernan, and I get to serve here at Wooddale as the Adina Campus Pastor, and it is so great to get to be here. It is such a joy and a privilege to get to be here with you this morning, and just to know that right now, all over the Twin Cities, we have different campuses, all with the same mission, with the, with the same mission, with the same vision, with the same love and message uh, that our whole city, no matter what community we're in, would know and follow Jesus and know his grace in their life. And so today, I get to kick off a brand new series with us. And what a fun way to start a series. Don't we have an incredible set of teams here at Wooddale Church, right? Yeah, definitely. And so I get to kick off this series that we're calling Crazy Makers, How to Deal with Difficult People. And I, ha I have to wonder, why is it that in this series of all the people that could have been preaching this morning, that they asked me? You know, are they trying to tell me something or do I, I don't know, maybe I have something uh, to say about Crazy Makers or know a little more about them than most people, but it is so good to get to be here. And so, yes, it's about how we deal with difficult people. And what makes a difficult person difficult is that they make your life hard, right? They wear you out, they slow you down, they stress you out, they make your days more complicated, less joyful, less peaceful, maybe even a little more painful. I don't know. But we find them everywhere. No matter where we go, we run into difficult people. They can be on your block or maybe in your building. They can be at your office or at your school. They can be on your commute. They might be on your bus. They, uh, they may be on your kids' sport field, sports field, at the games, or maybe even at the gym. Uh, or, or, or maybe even uh, we might find difficult people in places that we wouldn't even expect to find them. Now, I don't know for you, I don't know if you've ever gotten to taste the goodness that is a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Right? Anyone here? Yes? Yes. If you have, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you need to go find one. And so they're coming into the cities here, and that Chick-fil-A sandwich is so good that even when you begin to pull up to a Chick-fil-A restaurant, it's like you are walking into a sphere of heaven. It's just you are crossing into this zone where everything is right and good and people just dwell in unity. Uh, because these chicken sandwiches are so good and it is so peaceful. And so one day, I had a few minutes, so I decided to, to uh, sneak on over and grab one of these sandwiches. And as I was pulling into the Chick-fil-A parking lot, I happened to accidentally pull into the exit lane of the parking lot instead of the entrance lane, which was, you know, a few dozen yards further down the parking lot. Now, it was my fault. I made the mistake. I wasn't watching where I was going. And I pulled into this exit lane. Uh, which would have been fine, except that at the same time, there was a car that was coming out of the drive through lane that had just gotten their food. Now, I was blocking the way, but I couldn't back up because I was, I was stuck in traffic. And so the only way to solve the situation was if this car, this, this lady would have let me maybe just kind of sneak around her and get into the parking lot and, and break the rules a little bit. Uh, but she let me know that she was none too happy with me. And in fact, instead of letting me by, she pulled up a little closer, so close that I could actually hear what she was screaming at me through our two windshields. <laughs> it wasn't very nice. And, 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 and then, at that point, she gives me that look. You know what look I'm talking about? That, what kind of human being are you look? <laughs> to which I could only respond with the, <sighs> I can't. I can't. I can't, go in. I can't do anything. I'm stuck. Could you just maybe let me by? I'm sorry. My fault. I'm the difficult person in this situation. But no, she took that as her invitation, as my invitation to her to just slam on her horn for five solid seconds. 
And eventually I did get past her, but I remember in that moment, I was thinking, really? In a Chick-fil-A parking lot? That somebody who has the aroma of a freshly baked chicken sandwich filling their car can get that frustrated with somebody? And I was a difficult person. But it just was showing me that even in places we don't expect to find difficult people, we find them. And so that's what we're talking about over the course of this series, is how do we deal with the difficult people that you encounter? In fact, listen to how author John Ortberg describes these people. He says, now some people tempt me out of the flow of God's spirit. They judge me and I feel discouraged. They dislike me and I feel rejected. They are a black hole of need and they drain me. They throw roadblocks in my path and they discourage me. They anger me, they scare me, they depress me, and plus, I just don't like them. That sounds about right, right? And so it makes me wonder, who is the crazy maker in your life? Who's the difficult person that maybe you're having to deal with these days? In fact, if you would, just grab a pen, maybe a pen from around you or borrow a neighbor's pen, and just take a piece of paper, maybe your service handout, and I want us all to do something. Write down the name of a difficult person that you're dealing with in your life. Now, some of you are looking at me like, ain't no way I'm going to write down that name. And I wonder if it's because that person is sitting right next to you. And if that's the case, then my, my, my encouragement would be maybe you should make up a name. You know? But if you don't have a pen, you know, or if you're just saying, no, I'm not going to do this, just imagine who that person is and make sure you put that name in that person in your mind. It's that person that even as you begin to think about them, it just wears you down. Even as you think about who that person is, it puts a bad taste in your mouth or maybe a knot in your stomach or it even sinks your spirit a little bit. And so for you, maybe it's that narcissistic coworker, that person who's always making things about themselves and diverting all the attention in the room to them and what they've done and how great they are. Or it could be a demanding teacher or boss that just has that ability to crush you with their criticism. That your work is never good enough. Or it may be a roommate who has no respect for you or your stuff, but you really need their rent. Or it could be a family member who is always complaining, ever the pessimist, and always bringing people down. Or it could be that needy neighbor who has that habit of borrowing and breaking your stuff or seems to dump their problems on you at the worst of times. Or maybe for you, it's this guy, a random pastor who happens to accidentally photobomb your family's beautiful Easter morning photo. <laughs> uh, who, who is that guy? Okay, so truth be told, that's me. And uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but this was taken, that's an Adina family that was taken on the steps of our campus last weekend. But I, but I have to wonder, why, why am I so mad in this picture? <laughs> Someone tell me to lighten up. It's Easter morning. Jesus is alive. <laughs> Smile. And so whether it's random pastors or people you work with or people on your block or even in your own home, we all have them. We all have difficult people. And a couple observations that I've made about difficult people in my life, is one is they may not necessarily know they're a difficult person. They may not know they're a crazy maker. They're not being malicious. They're not necessarily being intentional about it. But that doesn't mean they're any less difficult for you. A second thing that I've noticed about difficult people is you don't even have to be in a relationship with them for them to be difficult. You don't even have to know their name. It could be one chance encounter in a grocery store checkout lane or in a parking lot or a customer service phone call. 
that can make you want to pull your hair out. Now, just speaking of crazy, isn't it crazy that people in your life and people in my life can have that effect on us? In fact, this week I was reading an article in the Huffington Post, a psychiatrist reported a couple years ago that we as a society are more annoyed with each other than ever. Does that sound right? That we are less tolerant, we are more frustrated, we feel more entitled, we have higher expectations, and we live more relationally frantic and fanatic than ever. So much so that when anybody fails to meet our high expectations, our normal reaction is to feel that we have a right to get angry about it. And even as I was reading that article, I was sitting at a cubicle in the library this week. And on one side of me was someone who clearly did not get the memo that you are not supposed to use your phone in a library. And on the other side of me was a guy who was clicking his computer mouse so hard and so fast that it sounded like he was trying to break the world record in a game of asteroids. And all this time, I'm sitting there trying to work. And I'm trying, and I'm thinking to myself, really? Here, I'm trying to hear from the Lord and write a sermon. <laughs> and she's talking on the phone and he's playing a video game right now because we get angry about it. And so whenever we encounter difficult people, our usual response is that we want to get away from them, right? That we just want to get away from them. We've all felt the sting of difficult people in our lives and so we'll do whatever it takes to not have to deal with them. In fact, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you Maybe this week or recently, we're in a coffee shop and there was someone in that coffee shop with you that was just speaking way too loudly for their own good and you decided to move tables because of it. Or maybe you stuck your earbuds in because that's what your buds are for. Right, you essentially moved away from that person. Or how many of you have ever walked down the hallway of your office and you see that one person coming your way and in that moment, you're like, I don't want to have to deal with them. So you actually did an about face so you wouldn't have to deal with them and maybe even faked a conversation, shame on you, on your phone or maybe even with a coworker or you just ducked behind a wall. Now, I know none of us would ever do that, but I hear that that's what people can do at times. And so maybe you faked a conversation, maybe you ducked behind a wall or moved tables, but I know that some of us in here have changed offices at work, we've moved teams, we may have even started a new job so that we wouldn't have to deal with some difficult people. You may have switched roommates, you may have changed churches. You may have built higher fences. You may have even moved to a new city hoping that it would get you away from some difficult people. But so here's what I've learned in my life is it doesn't work. No matter how hard you try to not have to deal with them or to move away from them, you cannot get away from difficult people in this world. And so if that's the case, then the question we should be asking is not, is not can I get away, how do I get away from difficult people, but is there a better way to deal with them? Is it possible that you can actually go about your day and encounter difficult people and not have them disrupt whatever peace and joy that you have in your life? Well, the good news in scripture, we see people full, the scripture is full of difficult people and difficult relationships. Cain had Abel, Moses had Pharaoh, David had Saul, Jesus had Judas. But today I wanna look at the words of someone that we might regard as quite the uh, crazy maker expert. In fact, the, the words that we're gonna read today are written by a guy named Paul. And Paul was regarded for much of his life as a definite crazy maker. He was most certainly a difficult person because he made it his life's ambition to get in the way of people, namely Christians, and to make life hard on them. 
That is until one day when God got Paul's attention and did a 180 in Paul's life and so turned Paul upside down with his love that now instead of getting in people's way and making their life harder, Paul is now teaching and telling people how to let the love of God infuse their relationships with one another. And so we're going to look at one such passage in Romans chapter 12. You may just scroll over there right now. If you have a Bible or on your phone or we'll read it together. Romans chapter 12. Now in Romans 1 through 11, Paul has just written some of the most theologically rich and complex passages in all of scripture. But when we hit chapter 12, Paul is going to shift his focus from our relationship with God now to our relationships with each other. And the point that he's going to make is that no matter who you encounter, even the most unlovable, difficult, frustrating people are not exempt from a response of love. And so look how he puts it here. In verse 9, Paul says, now love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. He says our response should be love, no matter who it is, but he puts this qualifier on it. He says love must be sincere. Hang on to that word. You may even circle it or highlight it in your Bible if you want. Paul is saying let your love be genuine. Let it be real. Don't pretend. Don't fake it. To us here in Minnesota, he might say, now don't just be nice to each other, but really, truly, love each other in a real way. If we were to dig into the Greek a little bit, he's saying, now don't let your love be a disguise. Don't be hypocritical about it. Now, I think Paul is calling us away from this idea of fake love because Paul himself knows that when it comes to difficult people, fake love is the kind of love that we like to use, right? Fake love is the kind of love that we feel toward people who secretly bug us and we're trying to make it to the end of a conversation with them. Fake love is the kind of love that we feel whenever we're trying to maintain a relationship with somebody because we feel like we have to, or maybe it's because there's something that we need from them, and so we want them to think that we love them, but we hardly do. And Paul is saying, don't just settle for fake love. Have real, sincere love for each other. And so it begs the question, well, how do we do that, Paul? How do we really, truly, sincerely, in a genuine way, love people, especially when it's the difficult, unlovable, most frustrating people that there are? And I think Paul would tell us, well, it starts by realizing that difficult people have incredible significance and purpose in your life. And when we begin to understand what purpose difficult people have in our life, well, then it completely changes the way that we respond to them. And so today I want to talk about a few purposes that Paul gives us that difficult people have in our lives. And the first one is this, purpose one. Difficult people strengthen our ability to love. Difficult people strengthen your ability to love. Just listen to how Paul fleshes out this idea of sincere love in these coming verses. He says, love must be sincere. So hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor, he says, give preference to others Leave first place in your life for other people. He says, never be lacking in zeal. Don't get worn down, Paul says. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. You know what patience is, church? Patience is what we have to use in those moments when we are reminded that we are not in control of things. That's when patience comes into play. And then Paul says, so share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Now, when we hear hospitality, we may be thinking like Martha Stewart hospitality, like how do you set the table and what kind of hot dish to serve? The kind of hospitality that Paul is talking about that we see in scripture is not just how you welcome people into your home, it's how do you welcome them and make room for them in your life. Now, as you think about those things, honor, 
devotion, zeal, faithfulness, patience, hospitality. Isn't it true that difficult people have this unique ability to wear those things out faster than other people? It's like the battery life on your patience just drops to zero when you're dealing with a difficult person. Well, I once heard these aspects of love described as muscles. And just like muscles, our love is meant to get worn out and worn down so that it can grow back stronger. So recently you may know that my family and I moved here to the cities and I thought I would take it as an opportunity to do something that I hadn't done in a long time and that's exercise. And when I mean a long time, I mean like since the last century, long time. And so we figured, you know, let's come up here, let's find a gym, new city, new routine, new healthy Brad. So my wife on the other hand, now she's worked out as long as I've known her. So we thought, well, let's find a class that we can do together and help me kind of get into the swing of things. And she wanted to do something called extreme body shred. I voted for pickleball. Well, we compromised and we chose a rowing class. And I thought, well, how hard can this rowing thing be? I mean, you just sit on a scooter and you slide back and forth for an hour. That looks like fun. You know how many muscles it takes every time you row? For every stroke, over 86% of your body's muscles are engaged. That's over 500 muscles in your body that are getting used and worn out and pushed to their limit 30 times a minute for an entire hour. All right, I began giving death stares at the trainer every time they said, she said, now pull! Because I didn't have anything left in me. Every muscle in my body was getting worn out, so much so that the next morning, my muscles were screaming at me. They were retaliating in pain. I was sore in places that I didn't even know had muscles. But we came back to the class, and then we came back again. And so far, I've been three times, so yay me. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, stop. stop. Oh, stop. Okay. And I've begun to feel a little bit stronger with a little bit more endurance and then I'm going to make it to the next class. And that's what happens every time we encounter a difficult person. That some aspect of your love gets worn out and worn down, but it begins to grow a little bit stronger and it begins to receive a little bit more endurance. Listen to how John Orberg writes about this. He says, if God wants to grow some quality in you, he may send you a person who who tempts you to behave in just the opposite way. If you need to develop love, then some unlovable people will be your greatest challenge. If you need to develop hope, maintaining it in the face of discouragers will make it strong. If you want to grow in your ability to confront, a hard-to-confront intimidator will give you serious practice. As lifting weights strengthens a muscle and cardio exercises strengthen a heart, difficult people can strengthen your ability to love. And it makes me wonder, is there some aspect of your love that difficult people are there to strengthen? Is it your patience? Is it your compassion? Is it your hope? Or maybe even your, zone, your own zeal for God? That those people are wearing that down so that it can grow back stronger? And purpose two. Difficult people remind us that we are difficult people too. In other words, everybody is somebody's crazy maker. Now, right? Now listen to how Paul puts this in verse 16. He says, so live in harmony with one another. 
Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Paul says, do not be conceited. In other words, don't think too highly of yourselves. Paul is frequently, in many of his letters, he's calling people down. He says, now don't get ahead of yourselves. Don't think too big of yourselves. We're all on the same playing field of God's grace here. And Paul is saying, don't try to get away from difficult, unlovable people because we are all difficult, unlovable people that others are learning to love. And we know that, right? We know that we're a little difficult. We know that we have our quirks and our tendencies, but do you know when we hate to accept the reality that we're a difficult person? Do you know when that is? It's in those moments when you're dealing with another difficult person. And in that moment, when you're up against that other person, for some reason, and we all do this, we begin to think of ourselves in the best possible way. And we think, you know what, I may be a little bit difficult, but I would never treat someone the way that they did. Or I would never speak to someone that they did. Or I would never do what that person did. And we may even begin to pray, God, thank you that you didn't make me nearly as difficult as that person is. And it begs the question, church, why is it that our own difficult selves don't bother us as much as other difficult people do? And I think it's a couple reasons. I think one is because we know our stories. And because we know our stories, we excuse some of our difficult tendencies. We know what kind of day we've had. We know what, what we've been up against in life. We know what we were treated like last time we dealt with this person. And so we turn on a little bit of difficulty, but we give it a good excuse. But we don't necessarily do that for other people, and we forget that they have stories too. But I think another reason that we do this is because we honestly maybe really truly believe that we're more important than others. And even as I was writing that out this week, I had to really look at that and say, do I want to say that out loud? But I know it's true about me, and I wonder if it's true about all of us. Because I know when I'm in the movie theater, and the guy in front of me pulls out his cell phone in the middle of the movie, in the middle of that dramatic scene, and all of a sudden the glow of his light of his phone is now filling up that entire movie theater, and I'm getting so bugged with him, it's because I'm thinking he's probably just checking his eBay for some reason. But when I pull out my phone, because I do sometimes at the movie theater, it's because I think it's pretty important. I want to send a text to the babysitter just to make sure that my kids are still alive. And that seems pretty important. But when other people do, I don't give them the same credit. When I'm on the highway at that 394-94 interchange and I see that big old line of traffic and then that lane next to it that's just wide open and I decide to do that little slip-in move there at the end, it's because I know that the meeting that I'm going to really is important enough for me be, to be able to do that. But when I watch other people do that, I think that's slacker. <laughs> they just don't want to wait in line. They don't want to be nice and patient like I'm being right now. In fact, they didn't leave in enough time, and now we're all having to pay the price. Or when I pull into a parking lot, and I decide to take up two parking spaces with my car, oh, no, I would never do that. That's just despicable. If you do that, you are a lesser human being. No, we, because when people do things that drive us nuts, we never give them the same grace. We view them as less important, more incompetent, and we may even forget that everybody has a story. Isn't that what Jesus himself was getting at in Matthew 7? When he said, now why? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the big old two by four in your own eye? Stop judging one another. Instead of pointing out the speck of dust in your eye, first take out the board in your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly. 
He says, instead of pointing out the speck of dust in your neighbor's eye, take the one out in your own eye. Paul and Jesus were getting at the same thing. They were saying, we can't deal with difficult people until we learn to deal with our own difficult selves. And when we do, then we're able to see ourselves with just a little bit more humility, which is so important in dealing with difficult people. And it's so important to this third purpose that we're gonna see here. And it's this, purpose three. Difficult people challenge us to take difficult steps toward peace. Difficult people challenge us to do difficult things. It's what Paul gets at in these next verses. In 17, verse 17, he says, now don't repay evil for evil. The new Crazy Maker translation might read, now do not repay difficulty for difficulty. Because if our first inclination is to try to get away from difficult people, well then if that doesn't work, what we're gonna do is we're gonna try to get back at them. And if they're gonna make my life difficult, well then I'm gonna find a way to make their life difficult too. If he's gonna pull in and block that exit from the parking lot, well then I'm gonna get in his way too. And if I can't make their life difficult, well then I'm gonna find someone else and I may make their life difficult. And what Paul says is don't do it. Don't resort to that kind of vengeance for one another. Instead, do what is right in the eyes of everybody, he says. And then the verse, mic dropping verse, that he seems to have been building up to all along comes along in this passage. And he says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, everyone, including difficult people. In fact, let's look at this verse together and let's read this out loud together, church. Here we go. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now let's be clear about this word right here, peace. Peace is not simply the absence of conflict with people, okay? In fact, that's what Jesus himself was saying in Matthew 5 when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. If Jesus was saying the important thing is keeping the peace in the absence of conflict, he would have said, blessed are the peacekeepers. But Jesus himself knew that sometimes some confrontation, some conflict, some initiative might be required in order for peace to happen. And Paul is getting at the same thing too. And so sometimes what peace is, is the ability to live in understanding with people despite the way that they rub you, despite some of the differences or the disagreements that you may have. But Paul uses that word, he says, if possible, and pay attention to that. He, he doesn't say if it's convenient. He doesn't say if it feels right. He, he doesn't say if it's probable or if it's guaranteed. He doesn't say if your friends agree or disagree. He says, if possible, which means Paul is saying, if there is a 0.01%, so you're telling me there's a chance that some measure of peace might actually be possible in your relationship with that person, well then, the responsibility actually begins with you. He says, as far as it depends on you. And he's saying, instead of getting away from people or instead of getting back at them, make sure that you've done your part to make peace possible. And it may not work but make sure you've done your part. And so what could that step be? What could that step toward peace be? Well, I think sometimes it's to let go of things. You know, that, that Paul uses a word for this, to forbear, to bear with one another. And what bearing with one another is, is just simply to leave space in your relationships with other people for maybe a little bit of rub, a little bit of friction, that some things will pop up from time to time that you go, huh. And Paul says, just, just let it go. Let go of that quirk, let go of that personality type, let go of that incident that happened once. In the words of Taylor Swift, just shake it off. (laughs) Just let the little things be little. Don't get caught up in them. That's to bear with one another. But another thing that it might be, another step to take might be to forgive. 
that there may be something that happened in, in the past with this person and you failed to forgive them and because of that, they're actually a difficult person and there's no peace in your relationship with them. But if I had to guess, I think the one thing that most of us need to do when it comes to difficult people is to initiate a conversation. To initiate a conversation. And I know that sounds so hard that we would step out and we would do that with that one person. But isn't it true, church, that when we come face to face with other people, that that's when we're really truly able to listen and understand? That's when we're able to ask questions. That's when we're able to find common ground, which is one of the most important things to do with people that you don't see eye to eye with. That's when we're, a- when we're able to speak up and draw boundaries when those are necessary. But it's when we're face to face that we're able to live in understanding with people in spite of whatever differences or disagreements or rub that we, may- that we might have with them. And so what if that person in your life is actually there that God has actually maybe even allowed or placed that person there for you to be able to take a step toward peace with them. What could that peace be? What could that step be? And what keeps you from taking it? And so even as I say that, I know that you must be thinking, Brad, but you, you just don't know. That name that I wrote down or that person that I've been thinking of, you just don't know how hard they've been on me. You don't know how much friction there is in that relationship. You don't know how much pain they've caused because we're not just talking about people in Chick-fil-A parking lots. We're talking about real people who have caused a lot of pain. It could be a bully at work or at school that's just making your life horrible. It could be a child in your own home, one that you love, that you brought into this world, but they just have this ability to discourage you and make your life so hard every single day. And to even admit that feels guilty. You know, or it could be an ex-spouse, and you're just trying to make the very best of that relationship. And so you're thinking, you don't know how hard it is, and you're right, I don't. But church, God does. And next week, we're going to keep talking about how do we deal even with those people. But if God knows the person that you're up against, well, then the very best thing that we can do is to talk to him about it. And so the homework that I want to give us this week is to do this right here pray. Pray for that person. Pray. And, and, and don't pray like, God, God, would you take them out of my life? <laughs> or don't pray, God, would you fix them, please? What I want us to pray is pray, God, would you show me what purpose they have in my life? A friend of mine once told me that the fastest way to change the way you feel towards someone is to pray for them. Because prayer and anger can't coexist. Prayer and frustration, prayer and hatred Prayer and impatience, none of those things can coexist. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, great hero of the faith in an era of Nazi Germany, he wrote that to pray for someone, to even pray for your enemy, and that's what difficult people can be, is to see them as a fellow sinner at the foot of the cross in need of grace. And when we pray for them, then everything that is in them that repels us falls to the ground. And so this week, every single day, Pray for that person. That's our homework. And maybe, just maybe, what God will tell you is that there's a purpose for that person in your life, and it might be to strengthen some aspect of your love. Or it may be that that person is in your life so that you can take a necessary step toward peace. Or it could be that that person is in your life to show you and remind you that you are even a difficult person yourself, but God loves you anyway. And so let's do that right now. 
Let's take a moment and just begin that assignment together to pray for those people. In fact, I want to invite our worship team back out as we go into a time to sing, to reflect, but right now to pray. And so if you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes and begin to pray for whatever name that is, that difficult person that you've been up against and pray that God would show you the purpose that they have, that he has for you with that person. Father, you are so good to us. And even in the people that you put around us, we can tend to think about those people as just being in our way. But the truth is, they may actually be there because you have put them on the way. That there's a purpose that you have for them in our lives. And so help us to see what that purpose is. Jesus, I want to thank you that when you were here on this earth, that you didn't run from difficult people, you didn't get away from them, you didn't get back at them, but you surrounded yourself with them. And because you did that, we have peace. We have peace with you. And so right now, would you once again draw us, a group of unlovable, difficult people with all sorts of crazy-making tendencies, would you draw us back closer to you? Jesus, it's in your name that I pray.